Welcome back to episode two of the Big Gay Book Club. I'm Amy. And I'm Chris. And we're your hosts. And we're very excited to be with you this week because we're reading one of my pretty darn favorite books in recent memory. Oh, absolutely. And I am so grateful because you were the one who told me about it and I am in love now. (laughs) And I remember, I feel like you watched the show first before I had last year. And then me and my partner watched, we're talking about Heartstopper, if it wasn't clear. By Alice Um, Osman. Yes. Me and my partner watched it, uh, like, right at the end of my tail end of my school year school year last year and i became instantly obsessed i went on amazon it was like sold out <gasps> because of the popularity of the show so i had to like find this not prime uh like not amazon prime version of mm-hmm. it being sold and i bought like a probably overpriced four book set because i wanted it and i wanted to read it and like read what the show had shown and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also bought a, like a set of her soft back, like normal novels, mm-hmm. which I haven't actually read any of yet. I haven't I read start, any of them either. There's like solitaire. And that was originally where um, the characters, Nick and Charlie were first introduced. That's right. Um, but that novel focuses on charlie's sister tori and i did start it last summer but it was right at the end of the summer Mm. so i didn't like i was like oh i'll keep reading and this year i definitely gonna make more an effort too but once school starts it's just like brain very focused on that you know oh i get it yeah um so how how have you been i've been good just got back from a brief trip into the city and had an opportunity to just really, I don't know, get away from the, the daily grind for a bit. Nice. Got totally drenched in one of our, our uh, downpours that we've been having lately. <laughs> oh, see? And it's been completely dry and sunny here. Really? I have been appreciating it a lot, actually. It's like a very, it's it's almost on summer-like right now. Like, it's sunny, but mm. it's cool. I'm really liking it. I wish we had more of that here. It's been very, very rainy, and and actually, I could I could use a few more uh, dry days. Yeah, I think everybody could. <laughs> There's been bad flooding around here. Yeah. Um, but besides that, I've been playing a lot of Tears of the Kingdom recently. Woo! How far are you in there without spoilers? I am probably like three quarters of the way done the main first missions. Nice. But I've been spending a lot of time clear, like getting the maps of the game Mm -hmm. all open and like on my map and stuff, which has been fun. Um, And it's slightly tangentially related to Heartstopper too, because they play Mario Kart on a Nintendo Switch. They (laughs) do. They do. I, I love those little like, relatable details that alice puts in these books like she's making these characters very modern i guess yeah and it's it's for for how sparse the art feels sometimes um there are some really sneaky little like almost easter eggs that she includes i love it 100 percent. and since you brought that up i kind of will just start talking about one of the things i wanted to because 
like reading graphic novels is so much different than reading an actual like novel in the yes. way that like when I get into really like good parts and just like well, I need to know what happens next and next, mm-hmm. I find myself focusing a lot on the words and like not looking and absorbing the pictures as much. Do you find you do that? Um, sometimes it's a little bit different though, I think for me, because there's, I know when you start learning about like motifs in movies, you start like seeing movies differently. And you're like, once you understand what the colors mean or what musical stings are, um, like you kind of start picking apart the production a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe you don't, but I, I took a class, uh, of like symbolism in movies and cinema. And so ever since then, I, I've kind of watched movies differently. And because I really came into graphic novels after I started writing them, I look at them a little bit more from like a meta perspective of like, Oh, I see what she's doing here. I appreciate this. I, I like know why she made these choices. And I think it's really interesting. And so like, I think for me, I sometimes tend to, anti-immerse myself in books because I focus too much on some of the details but um I do find that like I flip the pages a lot more quickly when I get really into a story yeah I I always try to step back when that happens and like even backtrack sometimes a few pages Mm. and be like okay I know what happens now let's go back and actually know what happens because like you're not reading about the actions and stuff the only text in books like this is the dialogue so all the stuff you'd normally get via writing in a novel you get via art which is I mean I like it I like it too and I think that is a way that novels like prose novels differ from graphic novels in that you have to work harder to visualize things when you're reading prose Um, but when you're looking at a graphic novel you don't have to think about what the characters look like or what the setting looks like it's there for you and it's really cool that you know it's it's like a neat mix between watching something on your television and reading a book. Mm-hmm. And I think Alice does a great job at tying it all together, too. She has some pretty interesting techniques, I guess would be the right word, in how she maybe organizes her panels or mm-hmm. features her dialogue or things Introduces like that. characters. Yep. Yeah, I I think I don't know how much what she's doing is innovative because this this is like my first time seeing some of the choices that she makes on the page. Um, there could be other stories that are like that as well, but certainly, you know, for as much as I've read of graphic novels, it's there feels like there's some really really fresh and dynamic choices that were made. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably we're not going to talk about it too much today, but there is a Netflix adaptation that Alice also like. I'm pretty sure she wrote all of it. Like I follow her on Instagram. She's actually currently writing season three right now because season wow. two airs in <gasps> August. That's right. Um, so like she's the main writer for the show, which I think is why it stays so true, but also like, it's just such a great adaptation because oh, it so builds upon everything that's in the novel. And also like she has more time to feature characters more prominently because, mm-hmm. um, like you were telling me earlier, these took you how long to read in total? Uh, the first one took me about 50 minutes and the second one took me, I think, like 58. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> yeah. And the show on Netflix, if you kind of think about the TV taking about the same amount of time to happen as 
what we are reading via mm-hmm. a graphic novel that shows like twice as long, maybe even more than that, which I mean, there's just a lot more room to do stuff. Well, it's an entire, so the first season of Heartstopper is actually the first two volumes. Exactly. So if you think of it that way, how many, how many episodes were in it? 10? Eight. Eight. Yeah. So that's like a lot, a lot longer, but I, I appreciate, and this is something that I really appreciated. Um, we're still not talking about spoilers here, but the panel size and shape and the fact that there are so few panels on the page and there's really creative use of white space. I think it, it really enhances the pacing and the flow of the books. And I think it was very magically captured on to the screen for the TV show. Yeah. And I think that do you want to just transition right into talking about Heartstopper volume one and two officially? Let's do it. Uh, so we always like to begin with a little bit of background to feature our uh, authors who are writing these queer pieces of literature. So I, it's have you ever heard it said? I, I say Alice Oseman. I say Alice Oseman as well. Okay, so it's a these books. This comic series is a continuation of um, the novella she wrote called Nick and Charlie in This Winter in 2015 and those were actually short novels that featured characters that were originally featured like i said earlier in her first ever written published work which was solitaire which she published in 2014 what and, a great title yes and people's love for these characters and also her like her interest in exploring them more and telling their story is what led her to start publishing Heartstopper on Tumblr mm. in 2016. So in September 2016. And imagine on Tumblr, you'd actually, you wouldn't flip pages to read these. You'd scroll to read these. That makes so, a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. why, why the panels themselves are so large. I find that it's like generally the web comics that end up taking up more space on the page and then end up having more page count, like a higher page count than Mm -hmm. uh, stories that are written intentionally just for the printed page. Yeah. And uh, it eventually, thankfully, because I love my physical editions, was (laughs) published in a a volume form where each volume encompasses two of her chapters, as she Mm. denoted on her um, webcomic. And one thing that's pretty awesome, I'm actually all caught up. She releases the most recent, I don't know, episodes, if you want to call them that, three times a month on the 1st, the 11th, and the 21st. Ooh. Uh, so, like, if you want to be essentially reading Volume 5, she is posting it right now. Oh, that's And exciting. I, we are eventually going to do an episode on Volumes 3 and 4 later. And they're actually my favorite volumes, which is why I'm super excited for Season 2. I know and nothing of what's to come. I'm uh, really you, excited. Do you think you'll read them or watch first? Ah, oh, I, I, okay. So I watched first like you had, and mm-hmm. then it was like a year before I read the, the volumes. You gave them to me. You gave me all four volumes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And um, I already know they're going to be some of my most like cherished printed books that I've got. Uh, just because they're so sweet and uh, tender. And... I, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough thing, but I think I might have to just check, 
check with my partner and see if he's interested in watching season two right when it comes out. Because if we're going to watch it together, then I'm going to just have to see whether I have time to read volumes three and four. But I also just might continue the trend of just watching first and then going back to see the source. They are very, very true to the books. And I I actually very genuinely appreciate the additions that are made. Um, There is a little mini comic uh, at the end of one of the volumes that actually ends up in this season, the first season, uh, really naturally integrated. And so I think it's just cool how to like see kind of that in a, in a bit of a deconstructed way when you go back to read the original after you've seen the, the television show, if that makes sense. Yeah. And Alice actually does a lot of those like one-off short, like stories that she posts either on Tumblr or she even has released the Heartstarper yearbook, which is <gasps> kind of like a, that? think of it as like DLC almost. Yes. I have it. It's really cool, but it has like character bios. It has some short Heartstopper related stories. It has some cool art. Um, what so excellent this, theming. Yes. Because they're in a school oh, and they're 100%. teenagers. And uh. yeah. I would, if you find it, I'd recommend adding it to your collection. It was a pretty fun thing to read through. And uh, she also has released uh, the Heartstopper coloring book, which I have, but I haven't colored in yet. I find, okay, I find it really tough to color coloring books. Um, Especially ones like this that are just like, oh, I don't know if I want to break the pristineness of it. That's how I feel too. They're too pristine and beautiful and I'm only going to lessen the value in my own mind. (laughs) See, I should have bought two. One that I keep unaltered (laughs) and one that I color in. Yeah. (laughs) And also what I could do is, I mean, I have a lot of photocopiers at work so I could copy them and draw that way. You could. I I find it nice when coloring books offer you a digital version as well because I find it so much nicer to color digitally anyways (gasps) um, just because it's less mess, less fuss, and you can just repeatedly do it over and over again because you can just get a fresh download. And the paint bucket tool, revolutionary. <gasps> so much easier. Uh, so, Jasp, everybody might already know the answer to this question, mm-hmm. but what drew you to the book Heartstopper? Well, you gave it to me. And mm-hmm. also because you are so in love with it. I just remember you saying like, I love these little leaves that are in the Heartstopper books, and I just want to put them up all over my classroom, and I love them to pieces. What do you think? And you had actually done it, and it was just so cool. And I was like, I need to read this book that has just taken you, like, windswept you, basically. I It's just, I think I love it so much because this is the story I wish I'd been able to read as a teenager. Mm. It's like the, I'm all caps, bolded, underlined, the story that... I wish I'd had when I was the age of Charlie and Nick. I wonder how Um, my life would have been altered if I had had this story when I was that age too. I, I think it would have, I mean, stories like this that like drew me to enjoy reading and writing, but Mm -hmm. no stories that featured me who I am so heavily, Yeah, which is why I appreciate them so much. And something I'm going to talk about, and I'll just talk about it now. We're we're already here. So I actually, I talked to a few of my friends after watching 
the like I, I watched the show before I read the books. Yeah. And after the show finished, I fell into this like funk, this depression for like a week afterwards. Mm. And I was talking to some friends who had also watched it and I was just like, hey, <laughs> this is weird, but did this happen to you too? And like both of the people I talked to said, yeah. And we were talking and kind of just realizing like we essentially watched a version of our lives that could have been, that wasn't mm. because of the time we grew up in versus now, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and I just appreciate this existing for today's youth. Yeah, you know, that's too. why I have all four volumes in my classroom. I have classroom copies that a few students have seen and decided they wanted to read, which is that's why lovely. I have them in my classroom. And like you were mentioning, I have this heart stopper wall in my classroom that I bought these decals of the leave Alice Osman uses in her um, graphic like panel like in her graphics. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're like always enhancements re- and of the emotions happening. Exactly. And it kind of like it has this light airiness to it that mm. kind of like the levity of what is happening in those scenes between these two characters. Yeah. I like that, the levity, because it definitely feels like that. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about these books, because a lot of what we're seeing are really, really small moments. And they're, you know, they can be really lighthearted. They can be really, like, fraught with tension and and uncertainty of, like, what's going to happen next? And I just, I think it's really telling that so many people are feeling like they can relate to these books, because... It's the small moments that we're seeing here um, that are being created between these two characters that are forming their relationship. Like relationships are so much about those foundational small moments, not not the bigger moments. Like those are definitely important too. But the fact that we get to see so many casual, nonchalant, teensy tiny little moments, like almost insignificant, where if you weren't journaling, you might not even remember them in a few years. But... They're so beautiful. And it's just like what makes these characters so easy to fall in love with. And more so in volumes three and four. But Alice does such a good job at not shying away from being like real, like real, real talk in what like in the issue she's addressing and the theme she's utilizing like definitely in these first two volumes these first four chapters yeah um she does a really good job about just talking about things that need to be talked about as well as providing us with this heartfelt warm honestly going back to our first episode it's the a gay big blanket, gay blanket. Yes. exactly <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe this should be how like maybe this is the 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 big gay blanket line. We have to then say whether all of these books are underneath the big gay blanket or if they're maybe near the blanket or if they could use a blanket. <laughs> I like that. Well, this one is securely wrapped within that big gay blanket. Then. I feel so nestled in the big gay blanket. Yes. Uh, so Heartstopper is about, you already probably know, two characters, two teenagers, Charlie and Nick. They go to a high school, which is, I guess, UK equivalent high school. I think it's called like a grammar school. 
I think so. Truman Grammar School for Boys. It's an all-boys school. Mm-hmm. Um, and their fateful meeting happens because their, uh, their essentially homerooms were changed. And it starts this epic tale of these two boys falling in love, discovering themselves, and eventually going through hardships in the relationship being tested and getting stronger because of them. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what this story is. It's the blossoming relationship between these two people. And it does a great job of slowly introducing other queer characters throughout the novel and making you love them just as much as you love these two boys. So Yes. Yeah. So uh, our two boys, we have Charlie Spring and uh, we have Nick Nelson. And Charlie Spring, he's the initial main character of Heartstopper. Um, he's openly gay. And it's uh, it becomes pretty clear early on in the first volume that he was outed without really his consent. And uh, so we're not really sure what went down there, but we do know that he got bullied before the books began. And then as we come to know who Charlie is, we see that he's in a little bit more of an accepted place at school, but definitely um, still surrounded uh, by the threat of homophobia every day. Mm-hmm. And I feel like his introduction to Nick is what sparks both of these characters undergoing quite a significant um change in themselves mm-hmm. which is a pretty neat thing to get to watch throughout these graphic novels absolutely do you want to talk do, about nick nelson uh are we getting into spoilers or are we still high level out here i still think high level okay so nick is a rugby player he's also a year older not i guess maybe a year older he's a year higher in grade level than nick And the reason they're brought together is because their forms, their homerooms get changed and they actually end up getting sat next to each other. So, I mean, I, I, the, the negative voice in my head is always like, but this story, like why doesn't make, this just happened. Okay. But I'm just like, these stories are being told because things like this happen. Like the stories is focusing on Nick and, um charlie because of this right like it i i believe in these coincidences in these happenstances because i mean the story wouldn't be tolding if being the story would not be told if that hadn't happened precisely it's so it's like this fateful event that brought these two together it's a meet cue and that's one of the quintessential parts of the meet cue is that generally there is some sense of like happenstance or coincidence um, and there are those who are like, I don't believe in coincidence. And sometimes I'm exactly. that person. Um, but you're right. It's just like this story is being told only because this happened. This small, basically like insignificant, out of their control, little moment that happens uh, off the page. And because of it, so many beautiful things blossom into existence. Mm-hmm. And we're along for the ride. Yeah. And Amy, would you recommend this book to others? Oh, yes, highly would recommend. Yeah, me too. Zero caveats, zero buts. Just read it. Just do yourself a favor and read it. And 
feel your heart grow three sizes once you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Snuggle up with that big gay blanket. And I don't, there's not really anything I don't enjoy about consuming this literature. Was there anything that you took issue with or thought maybe you'd wished had been done in a little bit of a different way? You know, not really. Um, I think for for everything that it is, it's really cute. It's really accessible because it's in a graphic novel format. If you are not into graphic novels or comic books, this might be the one that gets you to change your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the art is not the most polished, but there's something just really charming about it. And I think at the end of the first book, Alice even talks about how um, or it was some outside re- reading I was doing, but talks about how, like, you know, these stories had been part of, you know, her head since she was writing Solitaire and she really wanted to get their their love and their their world out onto the page. But she also, like, started it and then put it away until her art got better. And then when her art got a little better, she brought it back out. And I think, I don't know, I think because she did everything. She did the 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 coloring. She did the lettering. She did the art, the story. Um, a lot of the promotion work, I think she's just a powerhouse and a great talent. Mm-hmm. And like her, her, <laughs> her writing is unparalleled in just the television space too. Like she mm-hmm. wrote Heartstopper season one, she's written Heartstopper season two, which I'm sure is going to be just as good. Like I am continually in awe of this person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you feel like buying four volumes of a graphic novel, maybe about $50 worth is too steep for you to get into something, you can read this all for free on Webtoon. Ooh. I have Webtoon. It's a phone app. You can find Alice Oseman. You can read the entirety of Heartstopper for free on your smartphone. And I, like I said earlier, that's how I'm currently reading um, Volume 5. I Love will it. also buy Volume 5 when it comes out because I'm a stan, but I'm also reading it right now, which has been great. Like a every other week, little pick me up. Love it. So well, are we ready to get into that spoiler territory? Let's get into it. Perfect. See you soon, everybody. Welcome back. We're now entering the spoiler territory. So if you haven't read Heartstarper or watched the show, I suggest you do that before you listen to this next chunk. You want to take us away, Chris? Yeah. Heartstopper begins with a scene between uh, Charlie and... I can't use the word boyfriend because it's very clear that's not what this is, but his rendezvous, Ben... And mm. Ben is a boy at Charlie's school who isn't out, um, who's probably in a very similar space to Nick we see later in that he's mm-hmm. still discovering who he is. But he's doing so in a toxic way because he is kind of using Charlie to explore that side of himself via these clandestine rendezvous within the school where they make out. Mm-hmm. And Charlie is getting to the point where he's not feeling too great about these rendezvous anymore. And f- from there, that's where he meets Nick. And I bring this up first of all, this kind of interaction with Ben, this Benjamin character, because 
I really like how it's used by Alice as a kind of like springboard. It allows Nick to be supportive to Charlie Mm -hmm. in a pretty significant way later on. Definitely. Uh, So there's this point in the book where uh, I think Charlie's kind of broken it off with Ben and uh, Nick is kind of curious about Charlie. This is a, about the time where Nick is developing feelings and he follows Charlie after a rugby practice and overhears this confrontation between Charlie and Ben. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's this really hard scene to read as the reader because it's very uncomfortable for Charlie. It's very uncomfortable for you because you're like, you're mad for Charlie in that moment. You're very upset. But then Nick comes in and I guess defends and saves Charlie. Yeah. And I really, it kind of, it's, it's the first big payoff of that first kind of introduction to the book and it builds very well. And then it, um, I think reaches its, not, it reaches its conclusion in a nice satisfying way. This arc. Yeah. Yeah. The Ben arc. The Ben arc. Yeah. I think I really appreciated that Charlie had the opportunity to, you know, figure out like, this is not okay for me anymore. I don't want to tolerate it. And he stood his ground, but at the same time, you know, sometimes that's not enough and you do need that outside support, which Nick was thankfully there to provide. Um, Plus it was an opportunity for Nick and Charlie to just grow closer together and to know that they can rely on each other, that they've got each other's backs. But I did really, really appreciate how, especially after Charlie joins the rugby team and starts to just get more comfortable, I think physically, Like, Mm -hmm. I think he's getting stronger. He's getting more in touch with, uh, you know, taking up space. And when when Ben comes around again and is like, you know, you got to explain this to me. You got to talk to me. I'm going to try to convince you otherwise. And I was so proud of Charlie when he's able to, like, not only stand up for himself again, Mm -hmm. but do it with so much forthright authority that Ben definitely gets the picture. Yeah, and it's just the idea that Charlie's becoming a more confident person because of the influence Nick is having on him. Oh, I know. It's beautiful. And and there's a lot of questioning with Charlie and Nick early on because, Mm -hmm. like, I, I like how Alice does this thing where she, like, tells you the month. And, like, every few pages early on, mm-hmm. we're getting, like, a new month has passed. So we're seeing the passage of time, and we're seeing that this is, like, a realistic progression of a relationship. Like, it's not instantaneous. Like, right. four, th- three months have passed, and we're finally seeing some sort of this connection blossom between these two people. And yeah, I it, it's easy to forget that. You're thinking this, like, this is unrealistic. This is happening so fast, but it's not. It's very clearly not, and it's paced very well. It is. And I think a lot of that does come down to the fact that this was a webtoon um, and the way that you only have so many 
small moments you can show on the same page. Um, sometimes you have certain scenes take uh, maybe a couple panels. Sometimes they take several pages. But it's always laid out in a way that makes you feel like you're in the moment with these characters, that you can feel the emotions that they're feeling Um Alice does a really great job with adding in like little smileys or little faces or little hearts into their dialogue to kind of cue you in on some of their internal feelings. Um, That's one of the more innovative things. And maybe this is something that is seen a lot on Webtoon or in other graphic novels that have been coming out in recent years. But I had never seen it before. And I think it's just really, really cool how... A lot of times this would be kind of be inferred in the dialogue, in the way that the words are being written. But the fact that you've got this um, kind of almost punctuation with emojis, which is very much the way that a lot of us talk with our friends and our family nowadays, since they're so uh, pervasive, you know, there's a whole emoji keyboard. And it's like a, a language on its own that just gives you those cues of, I, I like, this smiley is showing you that like, I really mean like what I'm saying is a joke or I put a little heart here because you can tell that these two characters are so in love with each other or they don't realize it, but love is blossoming. And on the lines of these like little things she's doing to present these emotions, to present these characters feelings, she's also doing a lot to in like visually, make you feel things like Mm. there are these whole page shots that are like these surreal things i think of in the volume one where we have nick he just exploded that pen all over himself Mm. and there's this beautiful single page one kind of art piece of this hand that has ink dripping off of it and i feel like that ink is flowing into those leaves we've seen throughout this graphic no yeah they are they're flow I, I just opened it up they're flowing into leaves at the tips of his fingers and can you share the page the, number it's page 21 in the first volume okay oh yes it's just oh. beautiful and the single word at the bottom friends so you kind of get that like like i was saying earlier that levity that like you can in that image i feel Charlie's heart like beating a little bit quicker and feeling like it's like floating in his chest as he's thinking friends right and it's just like that happens so much in this where just the way she's combining her dialogue with the very cool technique she's using in her art it makes this it makes reading this almost like you're watching it in a sense I felt that way too. And I think something about the pacing being, you know, it's quick when it needs to be, it's slow when it needs to be. And everything feeds into the story and the emotions that, you know, you get when you're reading through it. It's just a very immersive experience altogether. And I so appreciate that we have not only one volume of this before and there's more coming because Mm -hmm. I love the feeling. I really, really love it. Last year, Alice said there were only going to be five volumes, but very recently she told us there was going to be a sixth volume, so that's <gasps> exciting. Ooh, extra material! Yeah, and the later volumes get into a little bit more adult territory, which is fun. Good. Um, and there's just, like, speaking to that panel, there's just, like, so many iconic panels in these, like, pages or panels in these 
novels. I can imagine like people reading these as they were released on Tumblr, like just turning these panels, these things into like their phone backgrounds or Mm. like these beautiful art pieces or like their desktop backgrounds or whatever. Because, like, the one that I see a lot in a lot of, like, Heartstopper Media is, like, I think it's really early on. It's essentially her title. Not, like, the actual title page, but if you were watching a show, it's the title card when the show's name appears where it says Heartstopper. And it's just Charlie and Nick sitting right next to each other. And they both say hi to one another. Mm. And they're both kind of side-eyeing each other. And, like, images like that are very iconic. And you kind of, like, they stick with you afterwards. Agreed. As like yeah. turning points. Uh, are there any panels or stuff like that besides the two I talked about that stand out to you in your memory? Let's see. Um, I remember really enjoying. Uh, so one of the things that Alice does is the dialogue is handwritten, mm-hmm. and um, which is just like so quaint and charming and just makes it feel more casual and everyday. Um, text messages are done with like a, a font. And so it's really neat. You're always able to differentiate when uh, an exchange is happening over text or if it's happening verbally out loud. Um, but I think my favorite use of the handwriting is when you have a very like, not cringy dialogue, but like they're like sort of shouting because the thing that they're saying is like a cover up for for something that's happening or for their own emotions. And that dialogue is in all caps. And I'm trying to find uh, what page. Are you thinking volume one or volume two? It's in both of the volumes, but uh, there's uh, 139 is one that I found. There's just a really cute, like, all caps, like, okay, come in, or Nelly will think we're going for a walk. Like, Oh, yes, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking. It's like that awkward moment you're forcing yourself out of. Yes. And the way she uses her handwriting to convey that, you know that feeling. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, 100%. She does, she's just like a wizard with that. For certain. And it's just like, the. it just feels all... Like the the dialogue bubbles just like sometimes take up the entire page. I'm th- I'm looking right now on page 172 where uh, Nick is giving Charlie a bit of a hard time because Charlie calls him a rugby lad, and so then he just starts like <laughs> talking talking like he's he is the rugby lad, calling him mate and everything, and uh, it's just it's so cute the way that the dialogue goes hand in hand with the art, and I think. It just, there's so many charming moments like this where you just can't help but smile or you can't just help but giggle as you're reading along. Um, and then as things start getting more, uh, like, sad, definitely get teary as you go. Did, I, did you did you get teary? Yes. I, I got teary at, like, the sad moments, but I also yeah. got teary at the happy moments because they are conveying things that I have felt and that I can relate to um, as a gay person. Like, mm-hmm. Alice, as, like, <laughs> as somebody who may or may not have lived the life of a um, gay teenage boy, sh- you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that she had or hadn't because of how well she tells these sto- this story. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so many times where I'm just like, yep, yep, 
yep, that 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 was me. That that was literally me in high school. Like all these things that I just I kind of can't believe it almost how much she is able to convey what it's like growing up as somebody who identifies in these ways. Yeah. And, and I, think, I, I go ahead. Prob- she probably draws from a lot of her own experiences as writers do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not trying to uh, say that she hasn't had these experiences because I, undoubtedly she has. Um, and it shows in the fact that I think there's so many times, how many times I do just feel so in tune with Charlie or Nick. Do you have one of the characters that you relate more to? Oh, 100% I am Charlie. Like I am the person, I am the uh, tall lanky kid who ran track, was really fast, really good at maths, helped my older brother with his math work, just like Charlie helps Nick, an upper classman with his um, Mm -hmm. math work. Uh, So yeah, I relate to Charlie a lot. What about you? 100% Nick. I relate to Nick a lot and not just because he has a really cute dog and because I may have tabbed every single page that Nellie appears on. Amazing. Um, (laughs) And as we learn, Nick really likes to wear dog socks. I may or may not be currently wearing dog socks right now. Um, But also just because he's bi and the fact that I'm, I'm also bi and he doesn't realize it at the start of the stories it's really him getting to know nick and falling for nick that makes him start to question and then he's filled with doubts and confusion and i that's those are the parts that make me feel i'm getting teary right now just just talking about it but i i like wish i had this story when i was younger because when i was their age i didn't know i didn't know this about myself i had i remember i had a friend who teased me after I had made a comment about how pretty I found like this student who was uh, studying abroad for the year, like our exchange student. Um, she looked like Shakira. She was very, very <laughs> beautiful. And um, I remember my friend just like gave me a hard time about it. And she's like, what, are you gay? Are you lesbian? And I was like, no because like that felt like a very shameful thing the time that i was growing up in high school i remember it was the talk of salacious gossip anytime somebody came out and so for me like that was the last thing that i wanted to be seen as even inadvertently even if like i didn't think that i had feelings of that kind for you know somebody of the same gender but I do wonder what things would have been like if i had had heartstopper when i was this age to see that like you know it's not me alone who has confusing thoughts or feels uncertain and and doesn't really know and has to Google like, what does it mean to like boys and girls? And And I love how silly that feels. Googling. Am I bi? I'm just like, that's just so relatable. Who hasn't done that? Who hasn't Googled something? Maybe not about sexuality, but who hasn't Googled something about yourself that you're trying to yep. comprehend more about, right? Like Exactly. Beautiful moment. So, so relatable. It, that, that's why it's beautiful because it's just like, yep, that, that, I've done that. <laughs> like it's, there's so many relatable moments. Just like you're talking about and how you relate with Nick. One of the things I, I also relate to um nick and 
a sense because he's this is actually a kind of idea and theme I'm trying to convey in what I'm writing right now. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that as a queer person, you often live the life that you think other people believe you should live based mm-hmm. on your um gender, based on your their perceived like how they perceive your sexuality, right? Like I didn't How have Chauncey boy- of them. I didn't have boyfriends in high school. I had girlfriends, even if mm-hmm. I maybe like <clears throat> I, I consider myself pretty gay. Like, but if I were if it were a spectrum, maybe mm-hmm. I'd be like eighty five percent towards that section, right? But like mm-hmm. I never explored that eighty five percent of myself in high school because I was being the person that um I thought I needed to be because that's what I was seeing on television. That's what I was being forced into because of the things I saw people bullying others for because of how many times my classmates used the word gay as an insult. It's actually something something I try really, really, really hard to not allow my students to do in my classroom. Yeah, like they, good. a lot of them very just <clears throat> casually throw around the F slur too, Ooh. and like that's a that's the instant ticket out of my classroom. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm glad that you have those boundaries because, you know, it's one thing setting aside your own feelings, but you just don't know what any of your other students are going through uh, to hear something exactly. like that being said, and the more it's enabled that that's okay language, like the more that it tells the people that that is targeted towards that, like aggression towards them is okay. And it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not okay. And that is something that I really appreciate in volume two, when we get to that moment where the F use it, the F slur is used, um, by Harry, Harry green. And, uh, Nick has a very, very visceral response to that. Um, you Mm -hmm. know, it's a hangout with friends moment it had just been a bit of an abysmal hangout because uh, he hadn't expected Harry, who's the most openly homophobic uh, and like just rude person, um, who was there when you know he had invited Charlie to come along and wanted to to have Charlie meet his friends, like really for the first time. And uh, after Charlie left, after feeling uncomfortable, um, you know, just Harry goes out and just says it, and Nick loses it and just like just punches him in the face. And I I remember when I was younger, like punching somebody in the face felt like the ultimate, like, yes, victorious, satisfying moment. Um, I, I'm not a violent person by nature. And so I've never punched anybody in the face. So I appreciate when we see it in literature, but I also really, really appreciate that even though we see again and again that like doing something physically is Nick's response to that kind of, um, aggression, whether it's with Ben or if it's with Harry. Um, but as he's doing it, he's also realizing like, this is not the way, this is mm-hmm. not how you deal with the situation. And because of that, he lets down his guard and gets punched in return in the face. And I think he ends up hurting a lot more than Harry does. But yeah. at the same time, I really do appreciate how Nick stands up for what's right. Because if you don't have those people who stand up and say, this is not okay, then sometimes people are just never going to get checked. And that is something that is super important, like you were saying, 
because imagine Nick hadn't said anything like all of Harry's other friends probably would have just let it slide. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's that pervasive, just like not saying anything, not saying anything, not saying anything until it's just normalized. And that's yeah. why we need people like Nick to call it out. Like how, how would Charlie be able to stay with Nick? Even just as friends, if this is what Charlie or if this is what Nick allowed mm-hmm. with his friend group, like with the people who are supposed to listen and trust you the most. And I think this is a good transition for me to talk about something a little different. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. when Nick was telling his mom about what was happening because, like <sighs> you said, he brought up the fact that, like, maybe it was. I think it was, he was talking about how he had punched Harry because he said something really awful about Charlie, but then mm-hmm. had stopped because he knew he shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I'm saying this because Nick's mom is just like the best in that scene oh. and like every other scene she's in with Nick. I, I like, honestly, like Nick's mom MVP of these two volumes 100 percent. i think we have a few mvps in different parts of their life but i agree with you nick's mom (laughs) i say mvp but there's like five mvps like we will talk about other mvps we will talk about (laughs) we'll we'll have like our list of all of their mvps in their mvp moments exactly (laughs) and like just that moment and just there's so many times throughout both volumes as nick's our, our parents are smart like i came out to my mom and she's just like um yeah i always kind of expected and she even like it's making me a little bit she even apologized and it's like i'm sorry if it's like almost said something very similar to what nick's mom said and the fact Which is that just like a beautiful thing i i'm i i'm sorry if you didn't feel like you could have told me this sooner yeah. right um and but all throughout these two novels nick's mom is seeing how nick is becoming a different but not in a bad way person no, as he's, he's getting closer and closer himself. to charlie more himself 100 like, percent, and more comfortable being himself yes and i think that's the the best thing like if you can find those people who make you feel more authentically yourself you're on the right track and i think nick's mom you know i really appreciate her patience and the fact that she's not trying to overstep as like mm-hmm. helicopter mom or something but she's really letting nick letting Nick figure out in his own time what's good for him and what isn't good for him because that's how he's going to learn when he doesn't always have her there looking out for her. But she knows those friends are not the best people ever, his friends. And so when she she sees him after, uh, I think it's Charlie's birthday party, um, and she's like, oh, you know, these, you seem like yourself these people make you seem like yourself. Like you seem happy. And And, she's just so intentional in her actions with her son, trying Mm -hmm. to make him feel comfortable talking to her, making comments like Charlie is a really good friend, isn't he? Or things like that. Like just dropping those hints that are hopefully making Nick feel more and more comfortable opening up to this person who loves him so much. Like I can like being in Nick's shoes at one point in my life, I can say like, I definitely didn't, if there were those hints, I didn't pick up on them because I was just so Mm. in my own head and nervous about everything related (laughs) to it and not like listening to pick them up. But the fact that Alice is 
making this representation of like the the gold standard mother. Yes. Period. Whether your child is queer or not, like accepting regardless of that and just being like noticing and picking up on these things and dropping those very intentional hints that hopefully Mm -hmm. are making her child feel more comfortable opening up to her. And then in the end, I need to, I need to, need to, this quote is in the book, in the show. It made me cry then. It makes me teary every time I read it. When Nick eventually does come out to his mom at the end of volume two, Mm -hmm. this is really great scene. Um, Do you want to share the page number? Kit, I think his, I think the actor's name is Kit Connor in the um, show. Mm-hmm. He does a really good job of portraying it too. It's like one to one. So if you want to see your book come to life, that is a great thing to do. And the page number is, uh, I have it tabbed, two ninety two in volume two. Okay. And Nick's mom says, "I love you, Nikki. I'm sorry." I ever made you feel like you couldn't tell me that. There is no like, it's not, I'm sorry if I ever made you feel like you could. She takes full ownership of it. She takes kind of like, she instantly is trying to console Nick and he, she doesn't want him to feel bad about the time it took him to do this and tell her. Yeah. Right. Like she is the, perfect mom like she's played by olivia coleman in the oh yes show who i absolutely adore and love it's just so good both in the book and in the show it's just like that is how coming out should be for every teenager or child like a supportive parent who is saying all the right things and is just being a being an mvp (laughs) MVP for sure. Cue the happy tears. Yeah, exactly. What are some other MVPs that you have recognized in this book? Because I've got a few. Um, oh, 100%. We have not talked about her yet. But um, Tara Jones. Yes. She is in, she's introduced in the first one as an old love, an old like love interest of Nick's when they were in elementary school or something. And they kissed once. And this is Charlie's friend's Tao's reasoning for why Nick couldn't be into Charlie because he's straight as a straight as an arrow because he still has this crush on Tara. And it mm-hmm. eventually is discovered that Tara is actually gay herself and has a girlfriend and there's this one scene where I think it's the first person besides Charlie that Nick comes out to, just making Nick feel super comfortable, like mm-hmm. knowing Nick's situation. Nick tells um, Tara that him and Charlie are going out. Yes, and it's just um, this is this is I, I'm gonna read my some of the my note I wrote for this because I think it, it gets the point across like, Tara is the best the scene where she asked Nick if it felt good to have told someone that him and Charlie were dating what an amazingly supportive thing to do it does feel good to tell people especially people you trust and people who celebrate you instead of tear you down mm-hmm. like it does feel good like it feels like a big weight is lifted off of your shoulders. Like that, 
levity you feel with those leaves on these pages, right? Like that's what it feels like when mm-hmm. you do feel tell someone you feel comfortable with. Love it. What are your thoughts on Tara? I really like Tara. I'm grateful that in the TV show we get to see more of her mm-hmm. and her girlfriend. Um, I just really appreciate that we get to see because sometimes with side characters, you know, even for as few pages as she appears in uh, these two volumes, I still feel like what we learn about her speaks volumes uh, just because she could be so flat and one sided and she's Mm -hmm. not like we learn that she too had questioned her identity. Like she's a lesbian, but didn't really realize it until she'd like kissed her girlfriend six times or so. And, you know, she's, she's going to this all girls school. There's the all boys school that Nick and Charlie go to. There's an all girls school that is nearby. And the fact that these two people are able to bond, Nick and Tara are able to bond so strongly with each other, even though they haven't seen each other for years, they don't go to the same school, but there's something so kindred about them. And it's like Tara now kind of gets to be a little bit of a mentor figure for Nick, someone who has figured it out and who can be there as uh, just not like quite holding Nick's hand or anything, but just as a support system of like, you know, because he does feel safe enough to tell her that he's, he's by and that he and Charlie are going out together. If it was anybody else, like, I don't think Tara would have been able to understand it as well, but since she's already gone through it herself and because her relationship is still so secret as well, we learned that not everybody knows that she's lesbian or that she has a girlfriend. They kind of just tell people on a need to know basis. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that she sees Nick being brave and start to come out is something that could be a catalyst for her to start being more comfortable with the public seeing the side of her that she most authentically is. Yeah. And there's a lot of that throughout this, these books. Beautiful. What about you? Who is one of your many MVPs? Uh, Deep cut, but she is my ultimate MVP, actually. Hero, hero of the book, I think. Uh, Miss Singh. She's the PE teacher and coach. I'm specifically talking about page 204 of volume one. We kind of have this, this, uh, the rugby teammates, they're Nick's friends, and they're starting to like be suspicious that something is going on between Nick and Charlie. Uh, And one is like, but Nick's not gay, is he? And the other's like, well, I don't, I guess we don't know. And the third friend is like, he doesn't look gay as if somebody can look gay. And didn't he have a crush on that girl, Tara Jones? And then here comes our hero, Miss Singh, who's like, you can't tell whether people are gay by what they look like. And gay or straight aren't the only two options. Anyway, it's very rude to speculate to speculate about people's sexuality. Go home, lads. And it's just like, I just really, really love how she delivers this. Not like it's, it's not quite a comeback, but it's like she's being straight with them in that, you know, you can't assume there's also more out there than you are letting yourself imagine It's not just a binary, gay or straight. And also, you should not be talking about this anyway. So just go home. Ruminate it on your own. Just kind of 
kind of have your own moment of discovery. Go Google things if you like, but like stop talking about it because it's not your business. And I just really, really appreciate that we have this like wise adult who's able to like step in before things get worse. Mm -hmm. And because I'm on page 204 and 205, it reminds Mm -hmm. me that in the novel, which is one way this, the novels are different than the books. Mm -hmm. Nick actually has a couple rugby lads who are rugby lads. Wow. (laughs) Rugby (laughs) friends who are a little bit more supportive and acknowledging of the relationship between the two of them. I think their names are like Cy and I don't remember the other one's name. It's mentioned in the second volume, I believe. Yeah. But just on 205, we see that panel, one of Nick's friends saying, I can kind of see it, Nick and Charlie. Like, it's like we actually do have these friends who are like, I feel like they weren't that conversation that led into Singh making that comment. I don't think it was malicious in any way. Like, it wasn't, it was very, it wasn't most tactful way to have that conversation, but they mm-hmm. were kind of, I think they were more just curious, at least Nick's friends, about what was going on between Nick and Charlie. I, it feels like speculation to me. Yeah, exactly. But it's also the kind of conversation where if you're trying, if you're not entirely certain how other people are feeling about the things you're talking about, mm-hmm. and you want to put on a face, even if you yourself are okay with it, you want to put on a face because you think they might be more homophobic or something mm-hmm. and don't want them to start bullying you, you might then go too far in the other direction and be like, uh, say, start saying some nasty things in order to feel like you're fitting in. And that's just the kind of vibes that I'm getting from this group of friends. Okay. That, like they're, They all feel like there's something to prove. It feels like Harry... And Nick are opposite sides of morality. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of a fight between like, like a, a very silent fight between like, well, who is actually the leader of this group? Who is setting the tone? And who is everyone else going to try to be more like in order to, to be socially fit in? And we need more people like Missing to step into those conversations and steer them in a better direction. Yeah, because I think she handled it well because she didn't just be like, stop talking. She like explained why, you know, this thought process is not the greatest. You can think of other things, think, think more widely, and also don't speculate about other people's sexuality. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up that specific scene because something the Heartstopper fandom has done that is actually a little counter to the ideals that Alice is um, promoting in their series is the fact that you shouldn't speculate about people's sexualities, but lo and behold, the Heartstopper fandom did that about the actor who plays Nick. Really? That forced him to, essentially on Instagram, come out, which was pretty darn shitty. That so, is. like, I need us as a community to uphold these ideals because they are for the most part really well written and well presented like these like this is the way that we should all be acting it's like the decent way to be yeah okay who is another one of your mvps because i thought when you said she i thought you were going one direction and you did like a complete right turn to where i thought you were going I told you it was a deep, deep cut right there. Um, but no, my other MVP, I, I really like the adults in this book. And okay. the other one is is Charlie's father. Okay. 
because he just like Nick's mom, I think they have they have a really strong and patient parental figure, each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know too much about Charlie's mom, but Charlie's dad is always the one who's driving Charlie to and from after school events. And we can tell from the way that he's like, you know, just call me if anyone starts saying anything that you don't like or you feel uncomfortable with, like, call me and I'll be there to pick you up. I think Charlie's really, really fortunate to have that kind of father figure, like somebody who has seen him through all of the bullying that he went through and clearly didn't put any of that blame on Charlie. He instead has been very supportive. I don't think he's been pushy. He hasn't been like, well, I'll go mess them up for you, son. Like it hasn't been that kind of response. It's been more like, I'm here for you, whatever you need, whenever you need it, you can talk to me. You also don't have to talk to me, like just whatever you need, just know that like I support you. And like, that's all the vibes that I get from him. The fact that he's not, he doesn't seem like upset that he had to go pick up Charlie early from a house party or, you know, when he knows that he's going to basically be walking into this lion's den of all of Nick's friends who are adjacent to the people who were bullying him the year before and wasn't trying to talk him out of it, but he was saying like, I will be your escape if you need it. Mm-hmm. And I also um, relate to the way in which um, Alice portrayed Nick's, not Nick's, Charlie's dad, because even if my dad didn't know I was queer in high school, mm-hmm. I was still the polar opposite of my younger brother who was like the football player and the one that always had a girlfriend. But my dad was just as supportive of my doing drama and my interest as he was of my brother's interests. So that's great. in that way, I mean, and now that I'm out, my dad is also extremely supportive and awesome. So like, I appreciate seeing these good portrayals of parents in these works. Yeah. Like I, I just, I want more of that. I want not, not like, I don't want more of it in these novels. I think it's, there's a perfect amount. I want more of that in the real world. Like I, I see the sentiment a lot and I agree with like, I, you should not have children if you are not okay with your children being queer. It's something that can happen. It's something that will happen. And it's just, it makes me very sad to know that there, I like, I know that it's happening because I have students who were in, I directed a drama play last school year and I had a student who had, um, pronouns that they liked me to use, but then come the night of the play, this student asked me to not use those around their parents. And I'm just like, Mm. as a human, my heart broke. Yeah. And I understood the situation and I, like, I supported them and I, I fulfilled their wishes, but I, I still like the situations like that make me sad. And I like, I, that's another reason why I, I want more portrayals of parents like this in media. Yeah. I don't know if the parents who need to see these types of portrayals are the ones watching or reading Heartstopper, but I don't know. It's it could be a it could become enough of a zeitgeist that it could just be something that everybody kind of sees a little bit more. Yeah. And also I mean, it's a longer game thing, but the readers now who uh are not yet exactly of parenting age when they do They can remember this, whether it's subconsciously or actively, and then uh, just 
be more empathetic. Yeah, and I, I think it says something to, like, how popular Heartstopper is. Like, queer people are a minority. We alone could not uphold and make Heartstopper the phenomena that it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I bet we could because we are pretty darn powerful ourselves. Um, <laughs> but, like, Netflix greenlighting two more seasons instantly. Like, a lot of That's people huge. love this. That's huge. And, which like, is the just, fact it's that... a good thing. The fact that Netflix has helped to propel it into the mainstream, Mm -hmm. like there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, are not graphic novel readers in the same way that there are a lot of people who don't appreciate animated TV shows or movies. Um, And I feel like those people are missing out on some really excellent stories. But the fact that there is more than one format in order to experience this story helps to widen the audience who are able to engage with it. And I think that's a great thing. And I think these types of graphic novels are great segues into high school, middle school students reading larger, more traditional novels too. Like it's a great, mm-hmm. it's a great like gateway into discovering great literature. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and also, it's it's just the way that literature is changing and evolving as well. That like. Mm-hmm there are graphic novels that are considered great literature now. Oh, 100%. And I would fight anybody who said otherwise about Heartstopper. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a violent person, so I'd fight them with words and ideas, but yes. Yeah. Uh, And I appreciate Alice so much for the fact that they do such a great job capturing some very universal moments in like a queer youth journey from discovering themselves to coming to terms with it and ultimately Mm -hmm. coming out, but Mm -hmm. also like the little things that happen in between and during. Yeah. And just like how comfy and happy this graphic novel makes me feel when I read it. Cause like, I think of scenes like at the end of the end of volume one, there's that really heartbreaking scene where Charlie and Nick share their first kiss, but then Nick gets scared because he hears his friends close by and he's not ready to come out to them but then volume two starts with what is i think one of the most iconic scenes in all literature yes i said it (laughs) quote me please um where nick comes to charlie's door in the pouring rain in a in sweats in a sweatshirt and just essentially sort of professes his love but also like has a full-on proper gay crisis and just like (laughs) that scene in the book is so good and i almost wish i hadn't seen it in the show first because Mm. i feel like i'd appreciated it even more if i'd read it for the first time because of how well it's like i knew it was coming i assumed it was coming because i'd seen it Mm -hmm. so i'd wish i'd hadn't seen it so i wouldn't have known it was coming because i think it would have like it's hit me just as hard when I it hit me pretty hard when I read it, but I think it like it would have slapped me across the face if I had read it first, you know. I mean, what a cliffhanger the volume one ends on. Yes. So yeah, totally. Like I'm I'm a little bit surprised at how intense and almost pessimistic it can feel when you get to the end of volume one and it's like, 
okay, Nick's run off. Charlie's not sure why, but he thinks he's just been very soundly mm-hmm. rejected and then goes home to cry. And he's like hugging his teddy bear and he's like lamenting everything that like every decision he's made that got him to this point. And it's like, my gosh, this is first off so relatable, but also Alice Osman, how are you going to leave us hanging here? Right? So if you are going the to, nerd. uh, you know, ever gift these books or encourage to have somebody get these books for themselves, like make sure you tell them to get both one and two. So they yes. don't have to experience that withdrawal after they finish book one and mm-hmm. can't get book two right away. <laughs> and Alice also does a great job in these two books, kind of peeking into Charlie's mind and also kind of talking about the anxiety that does come with being a queer teenager but just honestly being a teenager period like it's the amazingness of books like this in that if you're straight you can still 100% relate to the journey that these two young people are experiencing because just because they're gay does not mean that they are not going through things that you would go through in a straight relationship right like That rejection or that nervousness or that anxiety, like Mm -hmm. straight people feel that too. And I think it might be why a lot of them relate and enjoy these novels also. And I think it's also part of what's important about these queer stories being highlighted in mainstream media in that, you know, it's just very human feelings Mm -hmm. and we're all human and it doesn't, as Miss Singh said, you know, it's not just gay or straight and it doesn't really matter. Like you, like it's rude to speculate, but also like it, it's not your business whether, you know, somebody is queer, whether they're straight, whether they're questioning, like, unless it directly involves you, like we're all still human. We all still have feelings that are relatable to other people. And it's just like empathy is what, we just all need to have empathy and patience with each other. Mm-hmm. And Amy, because yeah. we cannot end this podcast without you talking about this character who I have still thought was going to be your MVP. Are you talking about Nellie? Yes. <laughs> you were saying she, and I was just like, oh, this is it. And then you talked about Miss Singh, which was like a great subversion of my expectations because I also love her. But I feel like we need to give you the time to talk about your love for Nellie. I mean, is it not obvious? <laughs> I love Nellie so much. I have marked every single page. I, I kept a, a running tally of all of my thoughts. And I just have I, <laughs> I just have a lot of moments in my notes like, uh, doggy! Can I give you a tiniest little spoiler about volumes? I think it's volume four that is just going to make your heart explode. Please tell me it's a happy thing and not that. It's a happy thing. Happy explosion of confetti and happiness and rainbows. Okay. Uh, Does she wear a sweater again? Because Mm. that was very close to an explosion of happiness and confetti for me. She gets a sibling. What? Okay. Thank you. Okay. So that's all I'll say. So I want you to be (laughs) excited to get to volume four and read it. So that's what I'm going to leave you with. Thank you so much. She, okay. She's so cute. I really appreciate having Nellie like on the page. She plays way more of a role than I ever expected. Um, And I just really love that Nick has Nellie because Nellie's almost portrayed like an extension of Nick's heart. And the fact that Nellie is the catalyst for when 
their relationship deepens because when Charlie finds out that Nick has a dog and he wants to see her, that's when Nick is like, okay, do you want to come over to my house and meet Nellie? And that starts their relationship deepening, their friendship into something more than just a friendship. And I love that Nellie gets to be that catalyst. I love that Nellie is there for all of their high points, like when they go to the beach together and Nick has that beautifully loud proclamation of how he really likes his friend Charlie and not in a friend way either. And uh, he's also, or Nellie's also there when when Nick is feeling really, really low and really sad, like mm-hmm. right after uh, he gets punched by Harry when he stood up for when he stood up for Charlie, and also was very much in a way standing up for himself, even though Harry and his friends didn't know that. I feel like Nellie is Nick's foundation that keeps him steady. Ooh, I love that, and I just. It, Go ahead. It's such a so well utilized by Alice, like you said, the catalyst <clears throat> for their first like out of school hangout, but also just like this again, this levity, this lightheartedness, this like this fun loving, cute little dog that allows these two boys to share something in common that brings them together. She's also just like, like you said, she's there for Nick when Nick, it's like, it's the, it's the way a pet is, right? Like they're there for you when you need them, even if you don't realize that's what you need. Like, because they're just part of your life. You just accept it. You just, this is what you do. But without even realizing it, that, that essentially that member of your family is there for you and you utilize them in that way, even if you don't realize you're doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's actually mentioned, Alice has a very lovely and encouraging note at the end of volume two, which is for uh, all of us queer folk out there um, and the folks who have not yet come out to be like, you know, even if you don't have a mom or a dog, like a cute fluffy dog at your side, like Nick does, things are still going to be okay. And people are still going to love you for you, for the authentic you that you are. And I think it's just really, really heartwarming that there's this whole community that has cropped up around these books, these Heartstopper books, you know, gay, straight, everything and anything else that's on the spectrum and around it. And uh, it's so true that fluffy dogs do help to make things better, but so do mm-hmm. so do friends and, and found family. I love the actress they... I'm going to, I'm saying this in a human way, but I love the actress they chose for Nellie in the show too. She's very, very cute. Mm, so adorable. Uh, I think there's, oop, go for it. I'm just worried because we know that Nellie's old and I just do not want to see anything sad or bad happen to Nellie because she's old and because time does pass in these books. Mm-hmm. So that's my only fear. There is one more thing I want to talk about before we wrap up. And you're welcome to also talk about anything else you want to afterwards. But I really, um, like throughout both volumes, there's this theme, there's this worry that Charlie has that Nick might be straight. And that's also something that's super relatable Mm. because as, as a gay teenager... I don't have a really great way to put this, but your options are much slimmer, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have crushes on 
people and the odds of them sharing a sexuality that makes you compatible is much lower because of your sexuality. So Mm -hmm. it's a really real thing that is um, something that Charlie fights with. But Charlie's friend Tao also kind of puts these feelers in Charlie's Mm -hmm. head that, yeah, Nick is straight. You Mm -hmm. don't, like, don't fall for this straight boy or you're going to get your heart broken, blah, blah, blah. But I do, like, Charlie... Nick does enough that Charlie kind of starts to know. And like, even, even Charlie's sister, Tori clocks Nick. Oh, he's not straight. Um, (laughs) so like, I appreciate that Nick does enough. Like, I don't even think Nick's ever really leading Charlie on because these are Nick's true feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think Charlie is allowing Nick to act upon those feelings because he feels so comfortable around Charlie. Yeah. So like the flirting and the hair touching and so much hair touching. the like the cute nudging or all these little mm-hmm. things like Charlie pretty darn like pretty darn sure that Nick likes him the way that he likes Nick. And he's like pretty confident in that even if his friend Tao, who I think I actually <laughs> I hope this isn't an unpopular opinion, but in the show I Mm-hmm. I really did not like Tao initially because Same. of how um, hard on Charlie he was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's fair, though, because Tao is not seeing the side of the story we're seeing. So, like, all of Tao's feelings are valid because he's worried about his friend. But yeah. he worries in a way that makes you not root for him. But I think in the novel, Tao comes to his... I'm putting it in air quotes. Like, that's the one thing about podcasts that I... Um, that doesn't get conveyed through the sound is like my facial expressions as you're talking, because let me Mm -hmm. tell you, they are animated in all my hand (laughs) motions, but I'm putting this in air quotes. Um, Tao's, uh, comes to his senses much sooner in the graphic novel. Like they Mm -hmm. have that bathroom scene at Nick's, not Nick's at Charlie's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And Tao at the end of that, much sooner than he did in the show is just like, okay, I trust you. I like, I know you're know what you're doing. Like you're my friend. Mm-hmm. I trust you. You're not going to do something against your own best interests. So I like that in the books, that is a little bit different. I don't, yeah, I, I never really disliked Tao in the books. Whereas there was a point in the show where until I knew the whole story, I did kind of be like, why is he being such a jerk to Charlie, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's very intentional, though, because in the books, the side characters just get less time. Mm-hmm. They get less screen time, to use the expression, um, on the page, just because it really is Nick and Charlie's story. But because the story gets expanded out so much more in the TV show, and then these side characters not only get more fleshed out, but they also have their own really solidified arcs. Um, I think it it does serve Tao's purpose in the television show, especially uh, as things concern his own maybe crush, Mm -hmm. uh, Elle, who we really didn't touch on too much. um, But I'm I'm assuming there's going to be a lot more of Elle in volumes three and four. Yes. Um, Great, because she seems really fun. Yeah. But I think... I love Elle a lot. And I do... I love her use in volume two at the birthday party. Hmm. Is it volume two? Yeah. 
Yeah, she's not in volume one. Yeah, but volume it's at two the, birthday the birthday party in volume two um, yeah. because uh, Nick and her just hit it off so easily. Well, they and, had class together. Yeah, exactly. Previously. Exactly. And I like the another great representation. Just like, this is how you treat trans people. Even if like mm. you knew them and then you weren't really in the know with them anymore. And then you know them again in a different mm-hmm. state. You still treat them as a person. You still treat them as they are. And Nick yeah. did that perfectly. Alice portrayed it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like I have had to do that with students of my own who I've had as freshmen. And then I have again as juniors and they've since transitioned and come out as trans. Mm-hmm. And like you move on and that is how it is now. And I think that's perfectly done in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like the way that Charlie intru- like reintroduces Nick to Elle, um, where he's just like, her name is Elle now. Mm-hmm. And that's like all you really needed. Yep. And that that is indeed all that Nick needed. And then they were able to just bond very easily together. And I, I do really appreciate how easygoing and affable Elle seems. And I, I'm hoping that I love how much screen time we get to see of her in the TV show. And yes. I hope that we get to see so much more of her in volumes three, four and beyond. And then I guess I did have two more things I wanted to talk okay. about. Another reason I relate to Charlie so much is his love of music. Mm-hmm. And I also loved the use of music in the graphic novel because there's this one point where Nick essentially I think Charlie mentions having drum practice and Nick is just like oh he plays the drums and then suddenly like (laughs) oh Nick has a crush on Charlie Mm -hmm. Um, but the show also uses music really amazingly like there's so much good music like I got turned on to some amazing artists via the show there were also like there's this one song during the scene at the birthday party in the show where Tara and Darcy kiss in public, like mm. as they're dancing. And that was like one of my actual personal favorite songs before the show ever. Nice. I started hearing that in the show and it was just like perfection. Like there are oh, so beautiful. just like there are so many iconic panels and images and scenes in the novel. Mm-hmm. The show has them just as often and it's great. It's really great. Um, I think this is a nice time to transition to some of the Easter eggs that you can have in, in, or you can find in these volumes. But one of them is that when they have their phones out and they're listening to music and the screen is visible, you can actually see the song and the artist that's playing that they're Mm -hmm. listening to. So in essence, you can actually listen to the same songs that the characters are listening to at the same time. And I think that's a really cool way of elevating the experience because it's taking it from just being a visual you know there's pictures there's words and now there's also music i I can't think of any easter eggs off the top of my head i think i guess i like seeing like the posters in charlie's Mm -hmm. room or nick's room i like the references to like actual real life things like mario kart or nintendo Uh switch or um, stuff like that. Like she grounds these novels in reality so that teenagers reading them can like super duper relate to them. Absolutely. Hashtag queer space nerds, because that's 100% what Charlie is. I mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I noticed 
Nick's doggy socks before there's a there's a real there's appendix appendices at the end of each of these volumes and in the second volume uh there's actually a breakdown about why Nick and Charlie wear the clothes that they wear and like what they typically wear and one of them is that Nick really likes pattern socks especially if they have dogs on them and it's just like I know this Alice I <laughs> love it and I caught that detail when you showed it <laughs> I also I guess, I don't know if this is an Easter egg so much, but, like, I love Tori, too, and how, like, she's more of the background character in this, but I imagine Mm -hmm. if you read Solitaire first, Tori is Mm -hmm. kind of an Easter egg in the sense that she was the main character of that novel, so now she's playing more of a supportive role in this one. I do wish, I want to read that book because I do want to know more about Tori. I think my main takeaway, actually of what I would have liked to see more of in season one of Heartstopper is I wanted to see more of Tori Mm -hmm. because she seemed like such an intriguing character. She seems very different from everybody else in the story. Like she's more quiet and reserved, but she's also like a little enigmatic and she seems to just like sneak up and just appear at all of these like pristine moments. And I'm so curious about her life. I just feel like I need to know more about her. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm hopeful, even if she doesn't appear more in in the next volumes um, than she does currently in in both one and two, that uh, Solitaire will fill that itch. Let's let's make a pact now that eventually we kind of have a few months planned out, but we should eventually read Solitaire. I'd love to. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh. So. Is there any? I think that wraps about everything. I mean, there are other things I'd love to talk about, but I don't want. This we could talk about it all day. To be but yeah, three hours is... long. <laughs> I, I feel good with what we've said. Yeah, I, It's just these books are a big gay blanket you get to wrap yourself up in. Repeatedly, too, because they're so quick and you'll catch something new every single time yes, that you read them. This was the second time I read them and I like absorbed even more. It was great. Beautiful. So... Uh, the general queer themes that these novels highlight, like we talked about them a lot, coming out, coming to terms with yourself, different mm-hmm. sexual identities, how to um, kind of interact with people who are discussing these things and how to like have a conversation about them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, how to handle when your child comes out to you Mm -hmm. and how to make yourself be the kind of person that they would feel comfortable talking to about these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, How to handle, I guess, how to handle uh, and support friends who might be going through some form of bullying or who Mm -hmm. had been bullied in the past, right? I Mm -hmm. think... We see a little bit, we never see it explicitly except where Harry is concerned, Mm -hmm. but it is alluded to that Charlie was bullied before. So, I mean, that's something that's still happening. I see it happen all the time. I report it all the time. I speak with students Mm -hmm. about it all the time. So this is not something that's gone away um, in the time since this book has been written and published. So it's, it's good to portray that too and just make sure that it is clear that this is something that still happens and it's something that's not okay. Yeah. And it's something that can severely affect you too, right? I mean, as somebody who was bullied, some of the stuff still affects me to this very day. Mm. 
Yeah. I think it's also just important to be able to, to see portrayals of it happening and to, and to know what it like to recognize it for what mm-hmm. it is. And then to be able to know different ways of diffusing the situation, uh, putting a stop to that kind of talk, especially with your friends, because, um, you know, it's one thing to stand up in a group of strangers and say like, Hey, this isn't right. But it's another to talk to your friends who may think this is acceptable behavior and to fear the repercussions that, um, they might see you differently afterwards, but because they're your friends, you have to also tell yourself that if, if they're truly being friends to you, they would listen and, and take to heart what you say and they would change. Yeah. How they speak. Is there anything else you want to bring up now? I'm very excited to read volumes three and four. We're going to have to wait a little bit of time because I know it's not the next books that we have planned. Yeah, I think so. We are planning on reading volumes three and four in the coming months, probably after season two has aired. Mm -hmm. So it might actually, it might actually work out time-wise that you do watch it before you read it, which I think could be good. Like that's what, like you said, that's what you did with the first two volumes. So yeah, and, and you you read them first, and you're going to be watching it after, exactly. so we would oh, have both perspectives. Yes, on. that's true. I'll probably reread them too in the before the show comes out because I'm Sounds kind good. of hooked yeah. again on the reading. Yeah. Um, and some of my favorite moments happen in volumes three and four. So oh, I can't wait. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that too. Um, but in the meantime, I'm just happy you finally read Heartstopper. I finally read Heartstopper. I feel like I know you better having read these books that mean so much to you now. That means so much to hear you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just, it's so good. I do yourself a favor and I at least download Webtoon and give it a shot so that you can see the amazingness that is also Alice Oseman's um, written work and art. Yeah. Also the library. The library is a really great way to get uh, books like this. Um, And more and more libraries are expanding their graphic novel collection. Um, But I think that wraps up our Heartstopper discussion, everybody. So our next episode will be released next, at the end of next month. Um, And what are we going to be reading, Amy? We're going to be reading The Spare Man by Mary Robinette Cole. And uh, it's actually a book that I've been telling you to read. Yes. So the shoe is on the other foot now. Exactly. So I'm really curious to hear hear what you think about it. Um, I've read another book by Mary Robinette Cole. She writes a lot about space and just very beautiful human moments and this one is love, lovingly queer, and I, I cannot wait to hear what you think of it. I'm excited because I'm actually going into this not knowing anything about it. I like you recommended Perfect. it, and I said, like I was saying last episode, like we trust each other, we trust our recommendations. So, like you tell mm-hmm. me this is the book we should read, I'm just like, okay, I'm buying it in a minute, actually. <laughs> and then I bought it, and it actually should be. I'm excited because I'm actually going to get to start reading it tonight because I believe it's being delivered today. Perfect. So great, great timing. Um, but yeah, uh, we haven't, so I want every, I want to put this in perspective of time too. We are recording this episode in 
July before season two has been released, which is why we didn't, Mm -hmm. it's going to, this episode will probably come out after season two has been released. So that's why we didn't talk about season two in this Mm -hmm. um, episode. We will probably, like I was saying, read volumes three and four after that has been released. Yep. Um, I, that actually, it's kind of exciting for me to know our cadence of episode releases now. It makes me feel less yeah. stressed knowing we're going to do monthly episodes. Uh, I'm very excited. And I also... Me too. This is one thing I wanted to bring up in our intro, but I forgot. Uh-huh. Our podcast name, regardless of what I said at the beginning of last episode, <laughs> is the Big Gay Book Club, not the Big Gay Book Club. I don't know why my brain keeps wanting me to say it that way, but it does. And I'm sure I'll do it again and again. <laughs> so maybe we... It's just a tongue twister. Yeah. Maybe we need like some sort of sticker merch that says the Big Gay Book Club. There we and go. Our our listeners will get the inside joke. But look, I feel like, you know, haha, I don't know if you see what I just did right there. I feel like it's almost <laughs> like the the Big Gay Book Club and the Big Gay Look Club, which also can mean graphic novels. So oh. maybe we're just covering all the bases. Yes, there you go. It's a it's a <laughs> What do they what do they call those words where you mush them together? Portmanteaus. Yes. They're my favorite. There we go. Portmanteaus. Uh but thank you so much everybody for listening. If you have listened to our second episode, it means you see something awesome in us, I hope. So if you do, it'd be amazing if you could leave us a review on whatever podcast service you're listening to us on. We would like this podcast to get out there, right? So that people can start Mm -hmm. hearing about these novels and people can start discussions with us about these novels. Because now that you know what um, book we're reading next month, you could email us some questions about it. Or you could even email us some questions or comments about Heartstopper. Maybe we'd address them at the beginning of our next episode. Mm -hmm. And our email address to do that is the big gay book club at gmail.com. I felt very lucky that we actually got that email address. No spaces, just our podcast name at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah. Do you want to plug any of your socials or anything before we go for the day? Sure. Uh, if you are enjoying the sound of my voice and want to hang out with me and uh, Chris when he's around, you can find me at twitch.tv slash jaspelior. I'm going to spell it better this time. It's J-A-S-P-E-L-L-I-O-R. Uh, I stream twice a week, generally uh, video games. Right now I'm building some Legos and I also do music. So... Fun stuff. And then you can check out uh, books that I've written and that I have edited over at Panico Press. And I'd like to give a special thank you to Kevin McLeod for the use of our theme song called Work. And that's spelled W-E-R-K. Very necessary that you know that. E-R-Q, right? Exactly. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yes. I'm so good at this. It's hey, I misspelled something last episode. Today it was your turn. W E R Q, which you heard throughout this episode, and you can find more of his music on Incompetech. This has been so much fun. Thank you everybody for being here and for listening. I hope you can't wait, just like we can, to tune in next month to episode three. 
Have a great month, everybody. Bye. Bye.